Hey. This one feels different in every way. I'll start in my journal. To forewarn you, I barely got through the last one, so we'll see how this one goes. <laughs> this is what I journaled last night. I just realized because it's March, that I've been speaking at Willow for seven years. Seven years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was seven years ago that I did my first midweek service. It's been five years since I've been speaking consistently on Sunday mornings. And I realized last night that I've been speaking consistently both through your loss and mine, through the many losses that Willow has gone through and the many losses I've gone through. And we've, ooh, and we've journeyed together. If you're new, sorry. <laughs> Actually, I'm not sorry at all. Welcome. We've opened God's word and opened our hearts to hear that word to meet us right where we need to hear it the most. And then last night I wrote, tomorrow I'm tasked with sharing on grief. <laughs> the message is already prepped, but God, I keep wondering where vulnerability comes to play. Are you inviting me to talk about pain or to show it? Because I wrote a message that talks a lot about it. I should probably add Romans 8. And not having words to pray for the first few days that led into the first few weeks after my husband went to heaven. <clears throat> the reason I think of Romans 8 is because there's these three kind of movements of grief in Romans chapter 8. The first one is that the earth is groaning. Then it talks about us as humans are groaning. And then the third movement talks about the Holy Spirit who dwells within interceding for God's people with groans that are too deep for words. I didn't pray with words for the first two weeks. I just trusted that scripture that the Holy Spirit dwelt within me and he was praying just with a bunch of groans because that's all I had too. I remember being so gutted to the core, being physically held as I yelled because there's something you have to do with that pain and it had to get out. God, I've taught through the pain. I've ignored the pain. I felt the pain, but just for a few minutes. I've gone back to the moment with a therapist, awful moment. I've remembered the trauma. 
I remember the first night that I actually slept as my friend Mandy felt that the Lord asked her to carry the pain for me and somehow she did and I wondered how I was able to sleep. And then I said, oh Lord, how I need you tomorrow. That's today. I'm just gonna go to sleep because I just trust you. And then I did. (laughs) And as I was going to sleep, I thought about um, all the stages of grief. A woman by the name of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in 1969 came out with a book entitled On Death and Dying, where she wrote about these five stages of grief, or sorry, of death, actually. Five stages of death, and it's only in studying it that they realize they're the exact five stages of grief. And when she wrote the On Grief and Grieving book, a different book, She got a co-author by the name of David Kessler. I've been listening to a lot about him and these five stages because I experienced all of them so far and I know I'm not done yet. And um, he is adamant that as you think about these stages that you don't find them as prescriptive of what you do and the order in which you do it and then you graduate from one and then you move on to the next. He says, no, they're just descriptive of the mess that is grief. They just help you describe what you're feeling that moment. And some of you have experienced and you know exactly what I'm talking about. And some of you haven't. I think that you one day will. So this message really is for all of us. But it's not just the loss of life. It's the loss of anything in your life. And so she writes these books. And I have experienced, I remember when I experienced denial, that phrase, I just can't believe. And where you kind of envision just to walk through the door. And I realized that phrase, I just can't believe, was actually a grace gift for me continually because I think that if I could believe it all the time, it would just be too much. So sometimes I have this grace gift, I just can't believe it. (laughs) Um, Still. Or anger, which by the way I found out is really necessary. The more you feel it, the more it can dissipate, which uh, enables the potential of healing. I can remember actually the moment I was most angry And I can remember the moment I was most depressed. I felt both at the same time when the thought entered my head of my husband leaving us for something better. I know it was irrational, but I'm really thankful in grief you can be irrational with God too. I remember bargaining, bargaining is that kind of if only phrases that we say. Like, oh, if only we had, or if only. Or you make these big promises with God, um, or with yourself. I found a lot of comfort in this idea that I only knew then what I knew then. I didn't know then what I now know now. Found a lot of comfort in that. And then there's this really crummy title for this fifth one called Acceptance. (laughs) It's just where you just accept that it's a new normal. And a friend of mine, Sue Beanie, says, it's not a new normal, it's just a new different. Let's never call it normal. (laughs) David Kessler, who co-wrote the book on grief and grieving, they finished the book. And it was after the book came out that he lost his son and he wasn't content with five stages. (laughs) And so he went back to the publishers and said, I'd like to add a sixth stage 
and I want to write a book about it. And after they all talked about it, and he talked about the conversations he had with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, who didn't even want to write the grief one, she was just facing the death one. They, everyone said, sure, and the last one was meaning. Not that you would find meaning in a death, but you'd find meaning for the life that you did have. And what I've done with that word is I've just tried to create as many meaningful moments as a result of it. And friends, the reason I agreed four months ago to talk on grief was because I'm really trusting that this one is one of those meaningful moments for you. I would not do this otherwise. So you better open your hearts with me in prayer. <laughs> so Father, I pray that you would address the door that's within our hearts the one that for many has been kept shut for fear of what could happen if they felt the pain. God, I pray that by your grace, you would give us courage to open it. Because you'll be with us. So thank you. And all God's children said, amen. You guys ready? Some of you are like, no, me either. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this. A good name is better than fine perfume. And the day of death better than the day of birth. So on a tombstone, one of those dates is better according to this one. It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. It's better to go to a house like this than a party. Now when I say better, I don't, <laughs> obviously don't mean it feels better. It doesn't feel lighter. And better doesn't mean more comfortable, definitely doesn't mean easy, doesn't, this is not an easy message. But it is better, and here's why. Because weddings are fun, but funerals are impactful. Because when you attend a funeral, it makes you think about your life in a way that only a funeral can. It makes you think about the reality of death. And for those of us that know Jesus, it makes us think about heaven, which makes me wonder, what do you, what do you long for in heaven? Which part of life that you're not experiencing now do you long for in heaven? I've never longed for heaven like this. So a few things I'm longing for is peace, like the deep, unaffected, untainted, pure peace, delight, <laughs> nonstop smiling. I do look forward to a lot of laughter. Laughter is really enjoyable. I love laughing. Sometimes I'm just going to laugh nervously in the middle of this, and you're not going to know what to do with it. <laughs> I long for like... I long to see Randy, but I'll also tell you this, I long to meet Jesus face to face. 
So what do we do in the meantime? That's why we have this message. And Jesus just left us with this prayer, right? May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So yes, bring parts of heaven here, but there's some parts of here that won't be in heaven. We've got to talk about those because those are actually surprising gifts is what we'll find. And grief is one of those gifts. I remember looking at my dad at Chick-fil-A this like two weeks ago and saying, Dad, what would I have done if I didn't have grief? It has to be a gift. The goal of this message is that we would recognize what grief is, why it's important, and maybe even learn how to do it well. So what is it? Number one, grief is the appropriate response to life not being as it's supposed to be. Grief is really appropriate to the loss or death of someone or some aspect of your life. What you dreamed would be, the marriage you lost, the people you lost, the job you didn't get, the job you were let go of, anything. And it could be easy, and I'll tell you this, it could be really easy to compare griefs, and I'll just tell you, we all just have them. And feeling them is really appropriate. And if you don't, this is why you have to. If you don't, you will look for relief elsewhere, or you will get stuck at the stage you were in, and you're going to keep reacting to all of life's circumstances based on where you were stuck in your grief. So if you never grieved, went through the anger, you're noticing anger in you, depression in you, sorrow in you. I appreciate Rick Warren adding to the conversation quite a bit because, quite a bit because he lost his son to suicide, so he brings a whole other understanding to the grieving process. He, he came up with six stages of grief. He says, first, it's just shock then into sorrow, then into a struggle, a wrestle. And he says, this is where your why questions are really appropriate. Bring them. They're not off limits. He said, it wasn't that I questioned my faith in God. I just questioned a lot about God's plan. And that's okay. He says, then you get to this place of surrender and sanctification because you're changed. You can't go back to what you were before. And it takes place in you. And what his sixth stage is, is service. He says, this is that place where you don't waste your grief. He says, there's no timeline. You have to take as long as it takes. There's no right way to grieve. You just keep going deeper and deeper into sadness. And Jesus is there to meet you at the bottom. And you'll find that he serves you and leads you to serve others. He says this, when you swallow grief, your stomach keeps score. If you don't talk it out, you'll take it out on your body or on other people. Another psychologist said this, grief is, this was shocking, the antidote to trauma. It's the healthier response to what we feel. Trauma leaves you stuck. Grief, when they're full of these emotions that you feel, moves you. Directionally, you cannot control. It might move you downward into dark places. It might lead you backwards into the past. It might lead you to the future of hope. It might lead you upward into the heavenly realms where you think about eternity. I've experienced all the directions of grief. 
And I've learned this, you can't heal what you're unwilling to feel. Pain demands to be felt. I recognize these words are hard. I even thought about like what I'm leading you to, it's heavy. But I'm trusting Ecclesiastes, it's better for you. And I know this as someone that's gone through it. But God's like entrusted this part of my life to tell you that it's better. Psychologists say that trauma is what happens when you suffer alone. James Pennebreaker did the first long-term study on trauma survivors, and he wanted to understand why do some people face trauma and their life like soars, they're like more joyful, more at ease, and some tank. And they did this long-term study, and at the very beginning of the study, he had an hypothesis. He said, my best guess is that it has to do with the nature and severity of the loss, the trauma. The nature of it, is it physical or sexual or emotional? What's the, is it abuse? Like, what is that trauma? He thought that that was gonna be an indicator, or maybe it's the severity of it. And they, he, his team was shocked to find that his hypothesis was wrong. There was zero correlation between the nature and severity and the, and the road to recovery. They found that the number one indicator of people who had grown through grief had people, family, and friends to process their pain with. That was the indicator. So why do we need grief? Not only is it the appropriate response, it's also the appropriate response, as I said, to life not being as it's supposed to be. Two weeks ago, I went on a date with my seven-year-old. I do this every week. I go on a date with my four-year-old and I go on a date with my seven-year-old separately. And I'll just tell you, this date two weeks ago was really rough and none of it was pleasant. Not one. <laughs> Part of it. Was it because he's seven <laughs> and he didn't get his way on where we would eat? Yes. <laughs> Is it because he's grieving? Yes. Is it because of sin? Yes. Was it rough because I'm grieving? Yes. Was it rough because I'm impatient? Maybe. <laughs> Here's what I'll tell you, that date was supposed to be different. It was supposed to be really sweet. My late husband dying at age 36 was supposed to be different. The fact that I have to say the phrase late husband in my 30s proves that this is not as God designed it. It's not supposed to be this way. And it's good to acknowledge that the world didn't start broken. I gave a sin talk or a gospel message, but I'd always start that message with sin until I understood this part of this message a long time ago. And here's what I understood. Grief wasn't needed before the fall. It was really good. Imagine heaven. Chapters one and two in Genesis were beautiful and good and delightful and community and no crying and no death. Adam and Eve tarnished that perfect peace, yes. 
We still get to see glimpses of it though, right? We see glimpses and then we feel sad as those moments pass. Whether we're lamenting literal death or we have sorrow from our dashed dreams, we grieve because life falls drastically short of God's original intent for it. We are born with this sense that life is supposed to be different, whether I'm on a terrible date with a seven-year-old or going through whatever you're going through, what I'm going through, or whether my four-year-old is having a temper tantrum (laughs) when something good has to end. My boys really struggle with transitions. And I think we all do. My four-year-old has a tantrum because when, when something good ends, he's demonstrating, even sinfully at times, that moments of joy, friendship, and delight were never meant to cease. Subconsciously, he, even in his temper tantrum, is grieving what was lost in the fall. See, because of all, regardless of the severity of all of our sin or anger or hatred of death or rage or any other expression of grief that we have, they're all expressions of grief that we have. Thomas Plantinga, in his book, A Breviary of Sin, writes this, the webbing together of God, humans, and all creation in justice Fulfillment and delight is what Hebrew prophets call shalom. We call it peace, but it's more. It's universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight. Shalom is the way things ought to be. Grief is needed because this world is not how it's ought to be. And we need it. I needed it on February 21st. I needing it, I needed it when I snuck into the bedroom of my little boy. And I had to tell him something happened last night. I needed something there. Something that will change our lives forever. I needed grief, and I think you do too. Grief, because what it is, is just seeing it, naming it, experiencing this reality. Life's not as it's supposed to be, so we welcome it because it's appropriate and it's really healthy. I'm really grateful for the work of Ronald Rollheiser in his book, Holy Longing. He writes this in regards to grief. He says, what we have dreamed for our lives can never be. Thus, we have a choice. We can spend the rest of our lives angry, trying to protect ourselves against something that has already happened to us, death and all the unfairness. Or we can grieve our losses, abuses, and deaths, and through that, eventually attain the joy and delight that are in fact possible for us. We face many deaths within our lives, and the choice is ours as to whether they'll be terminal to us. Snuffing out the life and spirit or opening us through the power of the resurrection to new life and to new spirit. Grieving is key to the latter. We grieve so that you can let go of whatever you're clinging to and receive the spirit of life that you already have. 
It's uncomfortable though, and it's really painful though. If I close my eyes, which I won't, I can go back to some of those. I'm gonna use a, a word that doesn't even feel heavy enough, painful times. I was working on this message. It was up on my computer as a friend of mine walked in and began talking about a part of her life that I knew in that moment she needed to grieve. And do you wanna know what I did in that moment? I tried to make her laugh instead as I'm working on this. I'm not some pro, because I too want relief. I want relief for myself. I want relief for my friend. And I want relief for you. And so I'm writing this saying, it's really important, it's important that we grieve, because otherwise you're gonna get stuck. It's really important, it's important that you go there, it's important that you don't just keep on coasting. It's important that we grieve that, because then God could do and move and turn us and transform us. And I know that, and she walks in and starts talking about something hard, and all I wanted to do was to make it lighter for her. That's all I wanted to do. And I couldn't believe it, because I knew what she actually needed. And then I realized something, what God invites us to and what God does is surprising. Check it out with me, leading into um, number two, 2 Corinthians. Second Corinthians, Paul writes this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion. Compassion, passion, remember, means to suffer with. That's why it's called the Passion of Christ, that movie. Because it's how much he loves that he'd be willing to suffer. Passion, compassion means to suffer with. So who is God? He's the Father of all compassion. And here it is. We want relief. God wants something else. And the God of all What's the next word? Comfort. We want relief. God wants to comfort us. And sometimes those are different. We want to be plucked out of the pain. And God wants to be present with us in it. And to bring comfort. And I think sometimes with comfort you get like lightened because someone carries it with you. And sometimes you just go deeper into the pain and then you find that he hasn't left you there either. In fact, he lives there. <laughs> and there's a lot of hope in this. He comforts us in all our troubles. And this one gives me hope. For the first year, I couldn't even like pour out really to my friends. I felt like I had nothing to give and that was really uncomfortable because it didn't feel like me. I was like my whole life I've been the question asker and suddenly everyone's asking me questions I didn't even know how to respond everything felt really backwards but listen to this it says who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble he'll use it I mean literally hopefully so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive friends you won't be able to give away what you haven't received for just as we share abundantly, and we do share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Grief is appropriate because life is not as it should be and how it's supposed to be, so why is grief important? Number two, grief is a means to experience deeper intimacy with our God who grieves. Not only do we have 2 Corinthians, Matthew chapter five, verse four, from Jesus' lips, he writes this, Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. They will be. You will be. 
the scripture verse that I was given more than any other, specifically from your letters. By the way, my dad and I read all of them. I remember when Randy Bement walked in with this massive, it was massive and overwhelming. He's like, this is Willow. Do you know how beautiful you are? Do you know that you were God's comfort to me? The verse you guys shared the most was Psalm 34, 18 that says this, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I gotta tell you something about our God. That's true. And it's not just that God is near. He's grieving too. My favorite person to grieve with was my sister. Because when I grieved, she grieved too. And those of you that have suffered the loss of a person, you know how different it is to grieve with someone who's grieved, right? I need some nods or something. Yeah. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Give me a nod. Just nod at me. (laughs) Here's the laughter. Here was the aha in prepping the message. As As we grieve, we get to join God in his grief. God knows we can't make it alone when we lose a spouse or a child. So sorry. God knows we can't do it when we have to care for a disabled child or when we have to endure suffering and he doesn't ask us to face it alone. When love dies, it's love we need the most. So we have to talk about it. And the best part about talking about it with God is you're talking about it with someone who understands. He does. Because he grieves. And the reason we know this is because we literally read about Jesus grieving in Scripture on multiple occasions. In John chapter 11 in particular, Jesus, by the way, was referred to as the man of sorrows acquainted with grief was a common title for him. In John 11, Mary and Martha had just found out that their brother Lazarus had died and they come to Jesus, they're grieving and they're asking some of the same questions that we ask. Here was theirs. Where were you? I don't know their tone, but I knew mine when I said that. Where were you? And we we have a full context to this moment. Here's what happens. Jesus gets word that his friend Lazarus is sick, not that his friend Lazarus dies. He just hears that he's sick and he stays where he's at. And he says it's for the glory of God. And when he finally shows up, they go, where were you? And Jesus knew what was gonna happen and let me let let you in on it. He's about to do a miracle the biggest turning point miracle in the book of John. John chapter 11 is the transition moment in all of Jesus's I am statements. When he declares, I am the resurrection and the life, this is when everyone goes against him and he's now headed toward his death. This miracle is the turning point in the book of John. He's about to raise Lazarus from the dead and they come to him here. Where were you? And Jesus knows what's gonna happen. And he has the power to do it, both. And yet, we read 
In John chapter 11, verse 35, these two wildly profound words. I used to be just surprised by the words Jesus wept because why cry when you know what's going to happen? In preparing this message, I was surprised because in the timeline, not only did he have the power to raise Lazarus right here, he had the power to raise him here. But he modeled for us instead what to do when you face death. You grieve. And it makes a really easy memory verse for those who wanted to come to church and memorize something. I think it was the second verse I ever memorized. <laughs> I was so proud of it. I'm like, well, I memorized a verse today. Jesus wept. <laughs> the first one I memorized, my mom told me to memorize. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. <laughs> It's my mom. She's over there. <laughs> Jesus wept because there's nothing wrong with grief. Jesus was perfect, mature, full of faith and hope and love, and he grieves. We feel the need to fix it. The goal of the sermon is not to fix you or rescue you from grieving. No, it's to actually invite you to walk through that door, the one that's been closed for a very long time, to open it wide. Because what you'll find is as you walk through it, God's on the other side of the door. And what are we grieving? Because I said God grieves. What are we grieving with God? Here's what we're grieving with God. Hatred of death. Hatred of sin, hatred of all brokenness in this world. In fact, where did death even come from if it wasn't in the beginning? Well, Romans says that it's the wages of our sin that is death. I'll tell you, in this message, somehow this month, not only have I hated death more, I've even begun to really hate my sin a lot more. And I've kind of been like, if this whole thing is like, I can really confess, and confession is even a deeper intimacy, and then grief is the deepest intimacy, I want to be intimate with God. And as I open up my confession, as I say, I agree with you that things aren't right, not just out there, but also in here, that we can be in intimate because he hates it. My brother-in-law, Jeff, on week one for me said, God hates death. He said, I don't know a lot, but I do know this, that God hates death so much so that he did something about it so that death wouldn't be the final word. Because a lot of people told me the phrase, the depth of your grief matches the depth of your love. I liked that. But I also know our discomfort leads us to want to just relieve the pain. And I'll tell you something shocking about Jesus. The depth of Jesus' love led him to endure it at the cross. But before the cross... He faces it. And what does he do in the Garden of Gethsemane? He grieves. Matthew 
sorry, Mark 14, 34. Here's some words from Jesus in that moment. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Matthew writes this. No, Luke. <laughs> and being in anguish, this is Jesus, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Jesus grieves deep because he loves deep. He doesn't ignore sin, brokenness, darkness, our envy, selfishness, our ease of gossip, porn addiction, alcohol addiction, sexual immorality, our judgment of people in our mind and with our words, and all of those consequences leading to death. Sin and death are not ignored by Jesus. They are absorbed by Jesus. At the cross, he experienced the consequence of all of it. Here's the good news for us, so that we would never have to. And why? Because he loves us. At the cross, Jesus didn't just grieve sin and death, he took it all and instead just gives us hope, which cr the cross made a way for us to have hope. We grieve because it's the appropriate response to not, not life not being as it should be. Grief is a means to intimacy with God, so how in the world do we do it? Well, First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 13 says this, brothers and sisters, we, want, we do not want you to be an uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you don't grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again. This is our hope. Death is not the end of the story. Jesus died to take the consequence of all and rose to give us new life in him. And so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep. So how do we grieve? Well, here's how we grieve with hope, church. We, grief and hope are God's tools for living in a fallen, broken world. Grief is our heart becoming attuned to what God already knows. This world is not as it should be. And hope is our heart attuning to what God has promised. Life will not always be this way. Well-meaning Christians at times suppress the dark anguish of grief, whether within themselves or within other people, because they have hope, as if grief and hope are at odds. They think, no, 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 okay, so you get sad and then you graduate to hope. No. God teaches hope and within it that we can talk to God about the painful delay of the peace that he promised. We can grieve crazy questions like, God, how long? Because we trust the promise that it won't be for forever. Our sorrow is temporary and for Christians our joy is permanent. And let me tell you this, Tim Keller adds to the conversation when he says the opposite of joy is not sadness. They coexist. Joy and sad, grief and hope, love and anger. 
The opposite of love is not anger. People will often say, if you love me, you won't get angry. And I'd say, no, if you love, you get angry all the time because you hate evil and anything that's destroying them. You hate the evil in them. The opposite of love is not anger, it's apathy. The opposite of joy is not sadness because the Bible proves us joy coexists with grief. The opposite of joy, the opposite of joy is not sadness, it's hopelessness. Christians, we have hope. So grieve with it. And listen to Jesus' words in John chapter 16, 22. He says, so with you, now is your time of grief. And as he says that, he knows it. But I will see you again. And you will rejoice. And no one will take away your joy. God moves us as we talk about it. That's why I like this series. Let's talk about it. It moves us. And we have hope because today won't be always. We won't grieve forever. Sin and death are not forever. Because, are you ready for this? Jesus is coming back. He gave John a vision, and he writes about it in Revelation 21, when he says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. Listen to how it's described. Coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Church in every tear, in the meantime is significant because it's aligning your heart with, with his. There will be no more, ready for it guys? No more death or mourning or crying will even be gone or pain. Do you long for this? for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. One day, church, our faith will become sight and we will celebrate because life will be as it should be and grief will be no more and we'll be face to face with Jesus. <laughs> and we are going to celebrate and we're gonna celebrate and it's gonna be a wedding, not a funeral, one day. There will be peace and there will be shalom. And on the meantime, we join with him and ask him to give us his heart to grieve. Will you pray?
Holy Spirit. We know the hope of the future. We know your power, the power of the resurrection. We know what's to come. And like Jesus, we in the here and now want to feel what you feel. Would you give us a glimpse of that? Give us courage and bravery to jump into the dark places, to excavate, to dig, to pull up so that you might expand our heart for more of you who is love. So I pray we would know you and we'd respond. Lead us, Lord, we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.